0: Morning Crossroads. It was Baptism Sunday. And this was a unique experience for the church I was pastoring at that time because it was our first Baptism Sunday. This was a church plant. And like uh, A lot of baptism Sundays, you have testimonies by the people who are getting baptized, and because we were doing the baptism at a lake afterwards, we decided during the service to have the people share their testimonies. And so, one by one, we had seven or eight people get up and share their testimonies. Uh, One of the unique things is because this is a church plant, uh, probably at least half of the 90 or so people that were there were not regular churchgoers. In fact, some of them had never really been, church was not a regular part of their life. And so the stories were unique and awesome as they shared about uh, what Jesus had done in their life. The stories were done and I got up and I was going to kind of wrap things up, put a nice little bow on this thing, and then the worship team would lead us in a song and out we would go and i get up and about ready to say something and Terry pulls me, uh, taps me on the shoulder. Terry was leading worship that Sunday morning and she whispers in my ear, Ken wants to get baptized. Now, Ken is a guitar player, was a guitar player in our worship team. And I paused because I'm standing in front of 90 or so people, and this question is going through my mind is, I'm not sure where Ken is in relationship to Jesus. Let me back up six months. Six months earlier, uh, it was a Sunday morning and it was like most Sunday mornings for Terry and I at that time, in that we had a couple of elementary kids and a junior high kid, and we were planting a church. So that meant Sunday mornings was getting up early, trying to get all the kids put together, plus it was me backing my pickup up to the trailer, the trailer having all of our sound equipment, all our children's supplies, and tables and chairs, and all that kind of stuff that you need for a church plant. And so we're going through that whole process of getting Getting that ready to go to church, but there was one thing different that morning. I was sick, and because it's a church plant, and because I'm the only staff person, and because there really wasn't anybody else around, uh, you do what you do when you're the only one and you're sick, you just do it. You can't call anybody. There's nobody to call to to take your place. And so, not feeling well, we go and we get all set up. And I decide, rather than doing a full sermon, I was just going to do a 10-minute devotional. Take what I had prepped and just put it in 10 minutes, because I really didn't have the energy to do anymore. And decided then we would have people share their stories. Take take some time to have people share about what God is doing in their life. And so the service happens, and... uh, I do my little devotional and then people start sharing testimonies. And again because of the fact that it was a church plant and probably half of the people, not regular church goers, the stories were as interesting as the people. Ken was there with his family. And Ken stands up. He says, my name is Ken. This is my third Sunday here. I was invited by Jeannie. Jeannie was a single mom. Jeannie said, this church is different and the people are different, and so I didn't take that personal. And so we've been attending the last three Sundays, and you need to understand I'm an agnostic. Grew up in the Catholic church and went to a Catholic school with nuns, and all the stories you hear about Catholic schools and nuns are true, according to Ken. He said, so I kind of just said, God, i had enough of you. But when my friend Jeannie invited my wife and I to come to this church where the people are real, we decided to come and... Um, after three Sundays, these are his words that he shared that morning in front of everybody. What the hell, I'm going to give God another try. Now, I've got two things running around inside of my head at that time. One is, okay, I'm probably going to have to do some damage control with that. At the same time, I'm leaping for joy because to me, that's, that's why Terry and I were doing this church plant. So Ken, who we found out later played guitar, started playing on our worship team, and um, our worship team practiced on Thursday nights, and so two times a week he was around believers, and they were rehearsing for worship and praying on Thursday nights, and then they'd come and be a part of the church service during the day. So come back to Baptism Sunday, and Ken and his family are there, and Ken tells Terry, I want to be baptized, and Terry whispers in my ear, and now, you know maybe why I'm a little hesitant. What do I do in that moment? And so I believe the Spirit gave me the words. I just said to everybody, Ken wants to be baptized. And then I turned to Ken. I said, Ken, tell us about your relationship with Jesus. Ken began to share a little bit more in depth his testimony and his journey. And then he ended with these words, all my life comes down to this moment. Today I choose God. What? We experience a miracle right there. So needs to say, Ken got baptized and the spirit was moving because even when we went out to the lake, more people began sharing their testimonies and more people wanted to be baptized. In, in the wonkiness of this church plant experience, with that, we have told you honestly how hard it was on Terry and I and our family. Um, there were some miracles that happened. And when we were leaving St. Cloud and this church plant because we were burnt out on all levels, we received a letter from Ken's wife, Jenny. And basically, in fact, we still have that letter when we moved, Terry founded it again. In so many words, Jen said, I don't understand why it was so hard for the two of you this whole church plant thing, but I want you to know that if the only reason you came to St. Cloud was so that Ken and I could meet Jesus, it was worth it. And for Terry and I, we would do those three and a half years again if somebody came to know Jesus. There's a story in Luke 7, and Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's home for a meal. This Pharisee's name is Simon. And Jesus was reclining at the table, and I have a picture that I want you to see up on the screen so you can see how kind of they reclined back in that day, how their feet were out behind them, and they leaned on their side. Personally, it doesn't look too comfortable to me, but that's the way... They did it, and as Jesus is at Simon's house reclining at the table, a woman of the city, a sinner, as she is called, hears that Jesus is at Simon's house, and she wants to go meet Jesus. I want you to take a moment and put yourself in this woman's place. Uh, Imagine, again, being a woman in that culture, your second class, your identity um, as a woman really is in your ability to bear children, especially male children, and so you're not only second-class citizen in this world. You are also a woman of the city, a sinner, which most people think she was a prostitute. And if a prostitute, she came from a very desperate situation because you don't become a prostitute because you want to. Most likely, her... Husband died or she was divorced or something and so then she was pushed out and was in absolute poverty and it was her only way to provide for herself. Imagine your self-worth. Imagine how often people looked down on you when they saw you. Oh, that's her. In fact, you might not even be seen. People might just walk by you and not even notice you. And then one day, you hear about this man named Jesus. And you see him from a distance. He oozes compassion and love and he heals people. And there's something about him when you're around him. And when you get close, you feel all this love and you want to go meet Him. And you hear He's at someone's house. Maybe you could sneak into the house. Maybe you could get close. What do you do when you see Him? Maybe if I give him a gift. And so she grabs this alabaster flask filled with ointment, and it was kind of her prized possession, probably was something that she was only able to afford because of her prostitution. And so she brings that with her, and she comes to Simon's home, and she walks into Simon's home, and she sees Jesus reclining at the table and so she comes in behind him where his feet are and imagine all the stuff that's going through her head right at that moment she sees Jesus she's up close get the feeling that's running through her all of a sudden everything all she's been told she's a sinner she's a woman of the city she's second class She's not worthy of being in this Pharisee's home. She's not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus, and yet here she is. Can you do you get the tension of this moment? And so what does she do? She bursts into tears and starts bawling. All of the emotion all of the weight of the sin on her in the presence of Jesus. She just goes, oh. Overwhelmed, tears are running down. She's on her knees and all of a sudden she notices her tears are falling all over Jesus' feet. How rude is that? What what do I do? And so all of a sudden she takes her hair down and the only thing she has is to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair and so she wipes his feet. But again, it's something taboo. A woman's not supposed to take her hair down in front of another man. She's not supposed to do that. And yet she does that because it's the only thing she can think of doing at that moment. And she dries his feet and then she remembers she has this ointment and she begins to pour it over Jesus' feet. And then her only response when she's this close is just to start kissing his feet out of love and lot of overwhelming emotion. Do you see the humility that is in this woman as she is bearing her soul in front of everybody and Jesus? And in the background, she hears People talking, but she's not paying attention to it, and these people are appalled at Jesus. How do you let this woman do this to you? I mean, really, who? if you're a prophet, you would know. You would know that she's a woman of the city, that she's a sinner. Hmm. Jesus, knowing what they are saying... He says, Simon, let me tell you a story. There was a moneylender who had two people that owed him money, one 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. A denarii being about the wage of a day's wage for a, a laborer, a field worker in that day. So imagine if that person was getting paid $15 an hour today, $120 per day, a 500 denarii would be about $60,000, and 50 denarii would be about 6000 and neither one could pay their debt, Jesus says. And so the lenderer forgave them both their debt, and Jesus asks Simon, which one will love the moneylender more? Simon answers, well, I suppose the one who is forgiven more, and... You could probably hear in Simon's voice this, uh, this Jesus. Then, looking at the woman, says to Simon, "This woman that you are wondering about—if she knows, if I know, she's the woman of the city. Um, she loves me more." Do you see the way she is responding? Do you see how she let everything go? You see, um, I entered the house, Simon, and you gave me no water for my feet, and yet she washed my feet with her tears. You didn't greet me with a kiss, Simon, but she's been kissing my feet nonstop and You didn't put any oil on my head to anoint me, and yet she has anointed my feet with ointment. And then Jesus says in verse 47, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. Of course, anybody at the table is a little confused because only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus is clearly not God to them. But for this woman, this woman of the city, this sinner... When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, the title other people have given her has been erased. She's no longer a sinner. She is no longer a woman of the city. Do you see the miracle? Verse 50, And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you go in peace. Do you see the miracle? Your faith has saved you. There are other places in Luke that Luke has gives us Jesus saying a similar statement to the woman who touched Jesus garment and was healed, he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In Luke 17, when the one of the lepers came back who had been made clean, Jesus says, Your faith has made you well. And in Luke 18, to the blind beggar, Jesus says, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And what you need to understand that whether it is... Uh, um, Your faith has saved you, or your faith has made you well, or you have been healed, or your sight has been recovered, you've been made well. It is the same Greek word sozo in all of those. Do you see the miracle? Sozo means to save or to rescue from danger, to save from suffering of disease or to heal, to make whole. To be saved means to be made whole. Sometimes we forget the miracle of salvation. You see, I, born and raised in a church, I... I've been a Christian all my life. Yes, I prayed a prayer when I was nine and and all that kind of stuff, but um, for those of us who have been born and raised in the church, we forget that salvation is a miracle. And for me, this is the main Proclaiming Jesus to the world, making disciples who make disciples. It starts with me, we talked about two weeks ago, am I dusty with the dust of Jesus? Then it continues as we make disciples who make disciples because we have a ready-made environment for discipling and that is our family, whatever your family looks like. Whether it's mom and dad and kids, or it's a single parent, or it's divorce, or you don't have any kids at home, you're a grandparent, or whatever your family looks like, it's a ready-made environment for making disciples. And today, we need to know that it doesn't end there. We are to make disciples who make disciples in our community there are many people like this woman who are desperately in need of the miracle of salvation. In a book called The Power of the 72 by John Teeter, here's a quote I want to share with you. This is my heart. I want to be a part of of the people who really believe that we have the Spirit of God in each of us for the spread of the gospel through all of us. Look at that. A little bit more. I want to be a part of a people who really believe that we have the Spirit of God in each of us for the spread of the gospel through all of us. And then it goes on, I want to be a part of a people who are gladly sacrificing the pleasure pursuits and possessions of this world because we are living for treasure in the world to come. And it goes on, I want to be a part of a people who are forsaking every earthly ambition in favor of one eternal aspiration to see disciples made and churches multiplied from our houses to our communities to our cities to the nations. That is my heart, people. And then he ends this quote, this kind of movement involves all of us. Everything I think about, whether it's politics or biblical justice or what a church is supposed to do or spiritual gifts, Everything for me funnels through the purpose of the church. The main thing is to make disciples who make disciples in the world. Matthew shared a couple of stories during Sunday school this morning of times in church history where people, either through proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ or so radically taking care of the poor that they changed the culture around them radically change the culture you and i want our culture to be different then start proclaiming the good news of jesus christ start making disciples who are making disciples start taking of the care of the poor more radically than anybody else My greatest moments in life is when i've had the opportunity to be next to somebody when they the light comes on when they come to know jesus as their savior for me there's nothing greater that's why terry and i have made the choices that we have made in our life that's why the three and a half years in St. Cloud that were the most hardest three and a half years are also the ones with the filled with the most joy because of the people who came to know Jesus. My challenge for us, Crossroads Church, is that we would be a church that is making disciples who are making disciples. First, that we are disciples. We are getting dusty with the dust of Jesus. Second, that we're intentional within our family of making disciples. And then third, we're intentional of getting to know our neighbor, getting to know our coworker, and praying that God will give you an opportunity to share Jesus with them.